I'm Asan, and this is The Friday Show, coming at you on this fine Saturday afternoon, uh, joining me to look back on what I think was an unusually eventful week. I've got Lloyd and Steve. Firstly, morning, Lloyd. Morning, Asan. Afternoon, sorry. Uh, well, yeah. Hello. <laughs> How are you? How are you? I'm well, yeah. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Very good. Steve, good morning. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm suddenly stuck in a time vortex. I'm very fine, <laughs> apart from, yeah, not knowing whether it's morning or afternoon. Yeah, I'm so used to doing podcasts in the morning that I just always say good morning, but hey, what can we do? Um, look, I want to start immediately by talking about the singularly biggest issue of the week. Now, obviously, it caused meltdowns on social media. We've seen managers be asked about it. Back pages have been written about it. So, Stephen Tudor, Kyle Walker's tweet... Please discuss. I am completely on the fence. I couldn't be more on the fence. I'm so on the fence. I've splinters in my both inner thighs. <laughs> on the one hand, he's got every... It, for one thing, I mean, I, I'm fortunate enough where I interview former footballers. And if I interview former footballers who retired at a certain age, you know, a certain era, they are candid, they're open and all the rest of it. If you interview footballers who retired in the last kind of five or six years, then you realise when you hang up, you think they've told you things and then you realise they haven't told you absolutely anything because they are so thoroughly media trained these days and they're so scared of saying anything. And furthermore, they know how much you know the media play games and will twist their words. And that depresses me. You think, you know, every one of us would like to see characters out there, personalities on the pitch and off it. They're not allowed to be human beings anymore, footballers. They're not allowed to express an opinion. And that is just plain wrong. So that from that aspect, Kyle Walker or any footballer should be able to tweet what the hell they like, frankly. And I'd like to see them do so. Um, so there's that aspect. And the fact that it was deleted is ridiculous. You know, what he put up was clearly just a bit of, and I hate the word, but bants uh, involving a mate of his, Harry Maguire. I, I'm firmly in that camp. I'm equally firmly in the camp of the utter stupidity of him putting out that tweet in the first place. Um, not because it was a footballer saying that and it involved you know, a rival and all the rest of it. It was because it was Kyle Walker who tweeted that. Kyle Walker, who has been playing Gash for weeks and weeks now, who has become the scapegoat of City fans, uh, unfairly in my opinion, Um 24 hours or 48 hours after City lost a, a crucial game and lost in an apathetic fashion, frankly. You're, and you're in no position to put that tweet out, Kyle. Just don't do that. We've got nothing to boast about right now. It looked all wrong. Um, so I'm firmly in that camp too. So that's where I fall. I fall kind of split 50-50, really. He had every right to tweet it. He was utterly stupid to do so, though. Okay, that's definitely fence-sitting of the highest order. Um, Top splinters there. Lloyd, uh, would you like to chime in? Um, yeah, I'll chime in. I'm, I'm just personally not as asked about it because clearly it's not Kyle Walker. You know, he's got his social media agency that, that manage all of his you know, Instagram, Twitter, whatever profiles he's got. And that's clearly from them, and so I think it's a re- I think it's a poorly judged post from them. I think you know, given the time and given everything that's going on at the moment, it's probably not the best time to to be doing a tweet like that. But you know, fundamentally, I don't think Kyle Walker sat there and clicked the clicked the tweet button. It, you know, most of these things now are managed by, by managed by their agencies. So yeah, I saw it, and um, it, it's it. I think the the main thing, which is what Steve's touched on, is it's you know it's poorly timed, it's poorly judged. But apart from that, it's not something that I'm uh, you know sat here battering my pillow about getting asked about. So I was a bit surprised by by the kind of furore, and I do feel it was a little bit um, you know one of those Twitter at its worst kind of scenarios where you know people are a bit angry at the moment about our recent results, and they just take it out on on Kyle Walker. <laughs> Mm, it's I mean, just, so, so, it, sorry to interrupt, Ethan, but social media as well, because one, one of my other jobs is to do social media for a, a large company, and social media is insane at times. I mean, it just generally is insane, and it's truly depressing. You know, you I, for, just to give you a, a random example, a couple of months ago, I said um, 
I, I meant to say something like, you know, Burnley did really well last night to get results at Anfield or whatever it was. And instead of Burnley, I put, um, I can't even remember who it was now, but let's say you know, Oldham or something. It was early morning, I put the wrong team. That's it. And it was clear who I was talking about. And about six or seven people beneath were genuinely trying to get me in the sack. Genuinely saying to the company, whoever's done this, sack him, he doesn't know what he's doing. You know, fire him, he's useless. For putting the wrong word, for putting the wrong team name. And that's just one example. You know, I put one up the other day of uh, Roy Keane. There's a picture of him where he genuinely looks like a tramp. He is looking so scruffy. And, um, and I put a tweet up basically saying, you know, uh, at this time of year with the snow falling, uh, remember those less fortunate than ourselves who are seeking shelter in this weather. And then I put in brackets beneath, obviously a joke aimed at Roy, but also seriously, everyone, let's consider the homeless at this time of year or something like that. People were disgusted. Not not everyone, but there were people beneath that going, taking a piss at the homeless in this. I mean, I even covered my back on that one. Mm. People are insane on social media and they are, they go out their way to be offended. Um, mm. So there's that aspect too. Is there a case uh, to be made that had Zinchenko tweeted exactly the same thing, uh, the reaction would have been very, very, very different because he wasn't in the side against Newcastle? Lloyd? Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I think context is is really important to those kind of things. And given that, you know, I think it's 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 fair to say Walker has been one of our worst players this season, especially, you know, since kind of November time. He's he's had a particularly poor period, so it's definitely linked to to form. Um, and yeah, you know, if Mendy had done it or if Zinchenko had done it, you know, there's no way it would have caused the same amount of issues. But because it's Walker and because he's been pretty shit. And yeah, definitely. Okay. One thing I'll say, <clears throat> I don't really like the um I don't really like the excuse making that oh it was one of his team. I don't think I appreciate that that may be the case, but <clears throat> I don't think that athletes can absolve themselves of what their team says on social media, and I don't think that, you know, when Walker tweets something that is genuinely funny, yeah, we don't all rush to go, oh, that's probably just someone on his team. He's yeah, not that funny. True. Yeah. So you can't mm. do that because it's something that is seen as uh, maybe not not cool, not a cool thing to tweet. Um, do you not think from the, rest- from the other side, though? I mean, like, you know, I, I feel like if, so- if something goes out and he's not comfortable with it, it, it probably gets deleted. Um you know, knowing how these things work, he's not he's not there vetting every uh, every post that they put. Out. I mean, it's a bit of a weird kind of. Yeah, sad but that world. didn't get deleted. That didn't get deleted because he didn't agree with it. It didn't get deleted. Uh, it got deleted because of the reaction. Yeah, no, yeah, and, no, that's, and, that's right. And ultimately, that's. I mean, it's a shame, but it kind of it kind of is what it is. Um, yeah, look, I mean, I said what I wanted to say yesterday on Twitter. Like, I'm not really that bothered about it. I don't really... My thing in all of this isn't so much about Walker. It's about the fact that I feel as though there's been a wave this season of um, negative City commentary and very pro-Liverpool commentary. And I think that as an extension of that, I think there's been a, a triumphalism around Liverpool since really since September, October. Um, And on the one hand, we as a supporter base complain about the fact that there aren't, you know, there aren't enough people sticking up for City that, you know, guys like John Aldridge can basically go in the media and say, oh, City are just a small club and they've got a small mentality and whatever it was that he said. Yeah, and we get really irate and upset about that. Walker has a little dig at Scouse triumphalism and it's all the blues that are coming down on him like a ton of bricks. And I'm just like, that doesn't make any sense to me. It genuinely doesn't make any sense to me. I don't care if the tweet was a bit off colour. I don't care if City lost, you know, two nights before. He was taking the piss out of Scousers. And anybody who can tell me that Liverpool supporters haven't been triumph, very, there hasn't been a lot of triumphalism around Liverpool supporters for months now, is simply a liar. So, if from my point of view, if somebody from our side throws a little shot, because you can be absolutely sure that on 
on Tuesday night or whatever night it was that we that we lost. Liverpool were talking about being seven points clear. I'm sorry, but with respect, we had City fans saying seven points is too big a gap. And Liverpool hadn't played at that point, but even some of the City side had decided that we were that Liverpool were going to win and it was going to be seven points. So it, within the context of all that, pff, big deal, man. He's had a dig. It, it happens. It's not... You know, it yeah, just, but, but he is the scapegoat right now. He is playing poorly. That has to be factored in. He has to be self-aware of that. And, you know, I've seen some ridiculous tweets this week. People saying, you know, we should concentrate on training. And like Howard um, said, I think, in a tweet himself, you know, what so he, instead of training, he sent that tweet or he gave go-ahead to that tweet. Of course, it's not one, one or the other. Um, it doesn't affect his kind of, you know, commitment in any way, shape or form. It's a tweet. It takes like... 10 seconds to send not that he sent it himself but mm. it is the, it's the stupidity behind sending it the lack of self-awareness he should know yeah, he's under a lot of pressure right now and he's just got to get his head down right now not put out any stupid infantile tweets and just play football that's what he has to do right now I'm sorry, but I take real offence to that. It's not the first time that I've listened to a blue rant and rave about how stupid and idiotic Kyle Walker is. And I'm just like, turn it in. Do you know what I mean? It's not like he got arrested for drunk driving. He tweeted something like, you know, we should have some some perspective in our in our discourse about these things. Like we, uh, no, again, man, it it's, back, it's him who needs a perspective. It, it's perspective of what? He sent a tweet out, mate, and you're calling him, you, you, you're going on about what an idiot he is. You're mm-hmm. saying that if another player had done it, it'd be okay. But because Kyle Walker did it and he's been in bad form, therefore he's an idiot and it's not acceptable. That, I'm sorry, I'm not having that. Well, first Just, it was Lloyd who said it'd be okay if, if it was in Zinchenko. It wasn't me who said that. I don't agree that it'd be okay if another player had Okay, I'll take that back then. Uh, and, and secondly... I've not at any stage said anything negative about Kyle Walker to this day. I have repeatedly on this podcast defended him um, and defended you know, the booing he gets and all the criticism he gets. And I can clearly see that the lad is basically just overplayed and exhausted and is in dire need of a good rest. Um, so I've, I've, I don't think I've ever said anything negative to, to this day. But his decision, or rather whoever kind of does his, t- his social media, their decision to put that tweet out was completely devoid of self-awareness of the situation City had lost that week he's celebrating an opponent getting a draw it gave Jurgen Klopp an, own, an open goal to once again be this kind of big pious twat that he is of you know I would never celebrate a rival dropping points yeah but how pious are we as well though like within this conversation how pious are we right now like he's you keep saying that like it's it was terribly timed and it, it was a terrible decision and all I'm saying to you mate is that he was mocking Liverpool and Liverpool supporters for thinking that they'd gone seven points clear just because City had lost when they hadn't even played a game at that point. So for Maguire to do what he does to get that equaliser, I mean, he's sticking up for us. Ultimately, Kyle Walker is having a dig at Liverpool supporters and sticking up for Manchester City and its supporters. I'm... I can understand, I can completely get behind the idea that, you know what, in hindsight, probably shouldn't have done it because of the reactions. But the fact that he did it, I don't think he could have predicted those reactions because when I saw it, I was like, that's amazing. Well, good on you, lad. Do you know what I mean? Because when City lost the previous night or two nights beforehand, like I said, blues and reds alike, we're talking about the seven-point gap as if it was a foregone conclusion and it had already happened. And that's basically what his tweet mockingly makes reference to. It's true. So anyway, that's my side on it. Lloyd, do you want to do you want to be the uh, man in the middle? <laughs> I just can't get as irate about it as you two, I don't think. Um, I'm getting back yeah. on the fence. <laughs> no, no, I, I mean, literally for me, it's, it's just, it's just a, it's just poorly judged, but aside from that, it's just not something that I can uh, get too asked about. Um, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, um, some of the little bits of uh, news from from uh, this week. Uh, Rabi Matondo has made a permanent move to Schalke. I found myself really kind of pleased for him, weirdly enough. I think the fact that we have a, a buyback clause, I think he's gone for £10 million, we have a buyback clause of like... 
30 million or something like that. Um, Steve, were you you like, oh no, another one flies the coop? No, no. Or did you feel like, oh, it's a good bit of business for City? The latter, very definitely the latter. It's it's positive all round for me. It's uh, once again um, illustrative of of how the uh, the academy is paying for itself and works. Um, we've seen uh, a good lad go on and you know hopefully do good things now. Whereas he wouldn't have at City, frankly, he just wouldn't have. I don't know yeah. enough about him, and I'm relying here on people who do know a fair bit about him. And what they tell me is he wouldn't have made it at City. He's a very good talent, but mm. he just isn't of that absolute exceptional elite. And he wouldn't have made it. So he would have moved on eventually anyway. Uh, and who's to say if he stayed at City for another year, he would have got, got, got on a touch stale and his value would have decreased. So um, in every way, it's a positive. It's the right time to sell him. It's the right time for the lad's development to move on. It's a good bit of money for City. Um just here, here, you know. And as a Welshman, I'm pleased that he's now going to get games in the Bundesliga and it's going to develop. So, I'm just happy all round. Excellent. I think I'm, I'm, I'm definitely of of that point of view, Lloyd. I've got a different question for you, actually. Uh, when you look at when you look at Matondo going to Schalke, you look at Sancho going to Dortmund, you look at uh, Diaz going to Real Madrid. Um, Moving forward, will it be? Does this make it more difficult for City to sign talented young players, or actually, is this a great advert for City's academy as a footballing finishing school for players who have the the potential to play in the top leagues? I think it's both, to be honest. So I think I think we, I think we are clearly a you know, in a kind of university sense, one of the best places to come and, and you know, not study, but, you know, craft your art, essentially. But I think we do need to be careful in that, you know, you don't want you don't want players and people coming to City purely to kind of craft their art and then fucking off at 18, 19 or whatever. You do need that. Basically, we do need the Foden to come through and to prove that and try and kind of basically get a pathway of sorts but the, you know the problem is you know with Matondo particularly you know I, I have a mate who works in the analysis team at, um, at City doing kind of uh, video and performance stuff and he said you know he's, he's just never going to make it but he's a really good lad and you know he's a, he's a full Wales international now I think he's been he's been capped by Ryan Giggs um, at 18 and so you know it's a really good move for him but he's never he's never he's not of the Sancho Foden level and you know, at the moment, I think there there isn't any anyone really in the 18s at the moment who is of that level, and it's going to probably be the the 16s that come through before we start having that conversation again. So, you know, if we're making 11 million 11 million quid off Robin Matondo because you know we don't think he's probably good enough to progress, then you know, you know, it's a bit cold and it's a bit cutthroat. But as a business model, that's you know, that's really working for us, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah. No. Definitely. Um. Steve, how do you feel about it negatively impacting upon or signing young players? Do you do you view it in that way? I don't Discount- know. Okay, sorry, go on. Sorry, before when you um, posed the question to Lloyd, it was kind of, you know, is it a negative or will it indeed be viewed as a finishing skill? I think that's a really good phrase. Uh, I think that kind of sums it up. If you're kind of a 14-year-old lad, coming through or you know well younger these days isn't it eight and kind of six and all the rest of it but if you're a young kid looking to and you've got bags of talent and you've got options out there United City Liverpool whoever um then I think the parent would think if you go to City you are going to get as Lloyd said you know a university degree in football essentially um and you probably won't make it to the first team but they don't care about that if you well I wouldn't care about that if I was a parent of a child I'd be thinking I want to send him to the best kind of finishing school basically to in order to to ensure that he becomes a professional footballer Mm. and that's what's going to happen so um I don't think it'll impact uh, negatively in any way really um it'd be far different if we were like a Chelsea who basically have just this ceiling placed upon their talented kids um and then they just loan them out and loan them out and loan them out, and then they just come to nothing. Uh, I know that that kind of um, model is changing now at Chelsea, but that's how how it was for a number of years. 
Uh, and again, if I was a parent of a, of a talented kid and I, I lived in the London area, I wouldn't particularly want him to go to Chelsea. I'd want him to go somewhere like QPR and think, you know, he's got a good chance of, of coming through the ranks there. So, um, yeah, I, I, again, I just see it entirely positively. I mean, you said then earlier, Isan, about, you know, how much flack City are getting right now in, in relation to the Trevorism around Liverpool. And you're absolutely right. And I think some of that is is based at our academy it's kind of yeah. other clubs just get away with it scot free. We we don't they're under no pressure whatsoever to bring their kids through. Why the hell should City? Why why are we, why are we under any obligation whereas the other clubs aren't? And furthermore, we actually are bringing a kid through, and he's going to be the next superstar of English football. So, if we're making money as well from the academy, I just see it as an entirely positive venture. I don't see any negatives to it whatsoever, and that's no, not through bias. Genuinely, that's how I feel. Yeah. To be I mean, fair, I, 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 we, we made a big fucking deal about it with that Caldoun interview and the kind of Brahim, Sancho, Foden yes. thing. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we, we, I, I do think we brought brought it a little bit on ourselves. Um, and it is fair for people from the outside to say, you know, a year on or 18 months on, only one of them's at the club, you know. And I think the Sancho thing is, a, you know, it's, it's always going to be the elephant in the room. It's a bit of a Pogba situation for us. So I, I do think we brought it on, on ourselves a little bit. Um in that sense, definitely. Yeah, I feel I feel torn by, by even that sentiment, the the idea that somehow we've brought the criticism upon ourselves. I, I don't think that, you know, I think that the chairman of most any big football club with a decent sized youth academy will send some spin out about wanting to produce a certain amount of players from the academy or local players for the first team. That just, it's just a little bit of spit. I understand why, you know, because of the scale of everything that, that the owners do, that the statements are also scaled up in that way. Um, but I think there was a, a an element of, of spin to that. I'm actually, I'm a little bit on the fence. I can see both sides of it. I can see why if I was a parent and I had, you know, Liverpool going, well, your 16-year-old is super talented and I, Jurgen Klopp, am telling you that I'm not going to, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to make sure that in two years' time, he's got a clear pathway to the first team. I don't think at City, anybody is sitting down with a parent, even Guardiola, and going at 16 years old, here's your pathway. I imagine that at City, what they say is that talent makes the pathway and not the other way round. So... I think that there will be moments where we will lose players because of the perceived lack of a pathway. But at the same time, like I said, I think there will be those parents who will look at it like a finishing school and they'll look at their kid and they'll go, well, I back him to be good enough to play for City. And even if he doesn't play for City, look at the examples. Sancho, Dortmund, Diaz, Real Madrid. There obviously is a pathway to other top clubs, even if there isn't one into City's first team. Um, I've got okay. one for the two of you. Uh, my dad, my dad asked me a couple of weeks ago because um, I was I was pretty decent as a footballer as a kid, and then I just basically hit my level, you know. And he said, uh, "If you'd have gone on, would you have joined Man United if they asked you?" And I said, "Yes." What about the two of you? Four. <laughs> it's really hard. I actually tra- no. I trained at City when I was eleven, and I got yeah. I got fucked off after <laughs> after three months and I was gutted and I went to Blackburn Blackpool and Bolton did the three B's and then got I fucked off I didn't know you did the three B's um, uh, would I have taken United no I've just been brought up to hate United um, yeah. it's almost been like a like a nuclear disease just to... <laughs> <laughs> um, my old man just taught me you know there are you know three certainties tax death and hating hating the Reds so. yeah yeah yeah. yeah, no, I don't think I could have done it either, to be honest with you, Steve. Um, I, I, I wouldn't have been happy, but I would have done it. I would have, I would have thought, right, go through the ranks here, and at the first opportunity, again, as a, as an education, you know, you can mm-hmm. then say at 16-year-old, right, I'm a Manchester United Youth Academy player, and then I'd move on to, well, basically anywhere else. But I'd fear indoctrination. Look at, <laughs> yeah. you know, didn't, didn't Jamie, didn't Jamie Carragher grow up in Everton? Yeah, Carragher was really joined Liverpool. He was blue, wasn't he? Mike McLeod yeah, so, as well, yeah. I fear that kind of indoctrination. I'd never put myself in, in that position where I could be indoctrinated. That is that a fashion. very good point, that is. Yeah. It's 
why I, why I avoid uh, holy buildings these days as well. Um, okay, so a little bit of uh, transfer incoming news on what was otherwise a bit of a damp squid of the end of the transfer window. That was City signing Antti Palaversa from Hadjuk Split, who is immediately loaned back for 18 months, so he won't actually join Manchester City permanently until the summer of 2020. However, there is a clause which allows City to recall him in January of 2020 if they want to bring the transfer forward. Um, I mean, I don't know a lot about the kid. I've seen some videos, but, you know, they don't really tell me much of anything. Lloyd, is this one of those transfers that we just file under, you know, maybe one for the future, bit like Claudio Gomez, where when he first comes, you go, he might be the solution at number six, and then four weeks later, you've yeah. forgotten about him. <laughs> it's that kind of the vibe? I think that is the vibe. I also think the 18-month thing is, you know, it's a bit weird from a fan perspective because you're it's, it's quite a long time, you know, if you think about it. 18 months, could Guardiola be here? You know, maybe, but maybe not. You know, it, it, is, it is quite a long, it's quite a long time, so... It's definitely filing it under um, somewhere weird in your drawer and you'll pull it out and, you know. <laughs> One of those will work, do you know what I mean? One of those is going to turn out to be an absolute world beater and we're going to get him back for absolutely nothing and be really delighted. No, definitely. Um, all right, listen, lads, I, I, I'm aware of time and I'm aware of the, the facts that we've not even touched upon the Newcastle game yet. So I think we should, uh, we should deal with Ugh. that. Yeah, I know, but I think we should deal with that now. Um, Steve, since you made that groaning sound, (laughs) you get to go first. Um, Now that the dust has settled somewhat, um, thoughts from you on where things went wrong against Newcastle? Mentality, mentality, mentality. Um, As soon as 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 City scored um, in, what, 25 seconds, I, I feared the worst genuinely honestly I've only got one witness because I watched it with, with a blue and uh, he would tell you I feared the worst I barely celebrated that goal um, because that is the DNA that goes through this club never mind this team because you can go right back to 2012 and, and it's a completely different set of, of players then but when they're in a situation where they can be complacent then they take that they take that choice not every time but most times and frustratingly, they seem to do so in scenarios and places where you really shouldn't be bloody complacent. And one of those <laughs> one of those places is Newcastle on a cold midweek night with it with the fans yeah. roused, you know, to Kingdom Come. It was obvious that when when Sergio scored, that for the next ten minutes, it was just going to stay at one nil and all the rest of it. It was equally obvious that from that point forward, Newcastle would re-rouse themselves, re-motivate themselves, courtesy of their the fans. Um, and we were then just in cruise control. And it's very hard for any team, whether you, know, you can go through the greatest teams of all time, it's extremely hard to get out of cruise control in an instant. You can't just do that at a drop of a hat. So you need circumstance to kind of jolt you out of it. And sure enough, those circumstances came in in the, in the form of an equaliser and a winner for Newcastle. It happened at Leicester, um, and it'll probably happen again as well. I it, I don't think it'll happen again this season. I think Pep will ensure that doesn't happen again. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see in the next three, four, five games, should City take an early lead, whether they'll then just kind of you know put put their foot on the throat and really just grind it into the dirt, you know, just go at them. Because that's what you've got to do. If you're away at Newcastle or if you're away at Leicester and you get an early goal, that is when you redouble your efforts. That's when you up your game, not to the opposite approach. Um, so, yeah, came down to mentality for me, and it was immensely frustrating. Lloyd? It was shite. <laughs> Is is uh, it was really so? I mean, well, I guess I knew. No, so I was in Hong Kong and I got a flight at about uh, three p.m. UK time and didn't land until about six a.m. UK time, essentially. And I had the option to buy Wi-Fi on the flight, and I was like, Nah, I think we'll be all right. We were what twenty-eight nil in the last six games. 
really good leg of form. You know, people, Sane's coming back into form. Gundogan's been looking good. Jesus has been looking good. You know, I was like, 7.99, ah, fuck that, we'll be fine. And then literally touched down in Blighty and um, load up the little BBC Sport live scores thing. Aguero, 24 seconds, Rondon, Richie. I was just like, honestly, for about two days, I was in shock. I didn't watch the highlights until about Wednesday this week uh, when I actually sat down after work and watched the full thing. Um, and yeah, you know, I didn't watch it until I'd listened to our review, until I'd spoken to you, Asan. And we were just, I actually watched the 90 minutes and like, you know, a lot of what you said was was bang on about, you know, the pressing, about what Newcastle did to us, about the lack of what we did. And we were just really shit. And, you know, I think maybe it's easier for me to say because I didn't watch it at the time and I only watched it two days later. But I was just so surprised that we put that performance in given, given you know, the run we've been on, given the kind of, the the level that was going through the players. I, I'm... I'm just a bit baffled by it and I, I do think, you know, Steve is saying, I don't think we'll see that again this season. I wouldn't be surprised if we do. I mean, you know, we've had that now against Leicester. We had echoes of it against Southampton. We had it against Palace. We've had it against Newcastle. I, you know, I, I'm, I, I do think there's a chance we'll see it again this season and it was just, it was just, it was just awful, wasn't it? Um, and, you know, thank God Liverpool drew because if it if it had gone to seven points, I think the the Ferrari would have been almost unbearable. Um, is the bar too high? In what sense? Because do you mean well, as in our, we set such a high bar with our performances that when we lose, the reaction is ridiculous? Yeah, a, a little bit of that. A little bit of just everything is the bar just too high is the expectation level has it reached a point i think that is almost unsustainable i think we set i think we set we set the bar too high last year because we got 100 points i mean no one's done that before and Mm. the football was amazing but more importantly the results were ridiculous like genuinely ridiculous and you know, we're being criticised at the moment for being on 56 points after 24 games. That's a great total. Like, in any other season, you know, it's a, it's a really bait thing to say, but in any other season, you know, we're you know we're top of the league. But I think it is also fair to say, you know, we've lost to Palace, Leicester, Newcastle this season. That is not the kind of thing, that is not the kind of results that title winners will go through. In, uh, in I, any sorry, sorry, but I... I... I was about to. I was waiting for you to, you to finish, Lloyd, and I was going to bring up a tweet I saw, basically saying what you just said. It's not true. You Do you not think every other title winners they've, they've dropped three or four games, and when you look at the games that they've lost, virtually every time it's against the unexpected. It's against a Derby County or a Southampton. It, it's this is a, a, a mm. perfectly routine title-winning season, apart from Liverpool. If you take Liverpool out of the equation, yeah. and if you look in, in five, six years' time at this season at Man City, you go, that's a damn good season. And it's, you know, they deservedly win the league. It's just Liverpool I, has just altered everything. They're the ones who have set the bar high. I don't think it's just the fact that Liverpool have set the bar high. I think it's the fact that last season we flat-tracked everybody we should flat-track. And that's what I mean by raising the bar too high. I think that what you say, Steve, is absolutely correct. I think that even your, even your, your Barcelona's, and you buy a Munich's under Pep Guardiola, when you actually go through the results and look at the games that they lost, yeah, they will lose against Dross sides. Now and again, it just happens. I think that where we have a problem is I don't think, what's that, four out of the last nine? Yeah, that's the problem right there. The yeah, fact that yeah. four of the defeats have come in nine games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Chelsea. That's well. where the, for me, where the concern should come from. Um, because I don't think that in isolation, I think in isolation, those things happen. I think in terms even of performances, I think Newcastle is the, is the nadir in a way. I don't look across the other defeats. Oh, Leicester maybe... Leicester maybe, but Newcastle really is the one that that I kind of look at and go, that's gross, um, and it's gross because of the 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 ones that have come previously so close by, and because of the performance behind the result at um, 
at Newcastle. Steve, do you agree with Lloyd when he says that he fears we'll see that again this season? Um, or do you think that we still have the... Do you think that we still have the mentality... Like, you talked about mentality as being the issue against Newcastle. Can we still recreate last season's mentality in what's left of the season? Or is that just gone now? Right. Well, that bit's certainly gone. Um, well, I mean, the answer to, to whether I agree with Lloyd or not is kind of who knows. It will, we will see. What What is um, for certain is if we do see a performance like that in the next three or four games, then, you know, it's not for debate anymore. You know, something is amiss, mm. without question. But I personally don't think that will be the case because... I wrote about two years ago about the mentality at City and I looked since the takeover, basically. Um, and, you know, we can look at four, pretty much four different teams since the, since the takeover, or certainly three different teams since the takeover. Um, you know, so you're looking at a collection of maybe 50 players there. Um, the mentality is just the same right through the years. And what it is, is it's like when it's too easy, they, they, they shoot themselves in the foot. Um and as soon as it gets to the stage where they're written off, they overperform and prove people wrong. Um, and it just seems to be embedded in the DNA of this club in, in the, like the 21st century. And so that's what I'm hoping that we've witnessed this week. We've witnessed where City kind of thought it was too easy. They've shot themselves in the foot. Um, they're like, oh God, you know, we're actually genuinely could lose this title now. We're in deep shit here. And now we will see a reaction. And then that's okay. why, really, I was just quickly, but um, you know, it could be seen as a positive that we've got Arsenal and Chelsea and Everton in a week. Get them all in this week now because I would expect in the next 10 days for there to be a real reaction from these players. And just, you know, sorry to go back to it, but that's why Kyle Walker's tweet pissed me off. It was bad timing. It was now is time to just shut up. Don't, you know, kind of talk the talk. Walk but walk now for the next ten days and prove people wrong. Yeah, yeah. I can. Uh, I can definitely. I can definitely get behind that. Um, Lloyd, one one thing. Uh, Guardiola was asked in his press conference about uh, individuals in the Newcastle game, and he made a big deal about saying that it's not about individuals; it's about the collective, and it's not about one player improving or not improving or whatever. Um, from your point of view, was there any individual performances in the Newcastle game that concerned you? Individual performances that concerned me? Yeah. Uh, not really. I, it was more It was more of a collective thing. You know, mm. There were moments where you know, the Fernandinho kind of filed for the penalty. But, you know, he's been played in poorly by Danilo. It was a didn't see long stuff. Kind of made that cut. I've seen a few people throwing Danilo under the bus, which, you know, for me, I'm not, I'm not particularly happy about that because I think last six weeks he's been, he's been one of our best players, to be honest. Uh, so no, I, I don't, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a particular. I think if, well, if you had to pick someone, it would be David Silva. Um, I think is is the is the one. And again, social media can be weird because you know, there's, there's an element of you're not allowed to criticize David Silva when he plays poorly. <laughs> But, you know, he was poor and I do think it is, it, it does stand out because you, you, you know, I, well, me, I know, Asam, we've, we've had a bit of a chat about this, but um, I think he was massively overplayed in the first half of the season. Um, and, you know, given that he's 33, to be at such a, to be at such a level is ridiculous. But he was poor against Newcastle and he has been a bit shit in recent weeks. So I think it's fair enough for people to criticise, but... As a performance on on Monday, you know, especially having watched it, you know, two days after, it was just a gen, general lethargy. Even after the goal, I mean, you know, the players celebrated that goal, you know, really intensely, but the levels after the goal were they were shit. Um, and it, it for me, it was just more of a it was more of a team thing than an individual thing. Yeah, I would uh, I would go along with that. I, I I kind of agreed with Pep, which is why I threw you that loaded question because actually, upon reflection on the game. Nobody was, you know, any better or any worse than anybody else. It felt like the whole thing didn't work rather than a couple of pieces not working and because of that, the whole thing falling apart. Uh, Steve, do you want to chime in on that? Any individual that you kind of were a bit worried about or would well, you go along with us? 
yeah, I'm fully in agreement with the two of you. Um, I will say that Sterling and Sane stood out for me, but that's positionally rather than anything else. You know, mm-hmm. when those two aren't firing, then we really do suffer. So, um, but yeah, I absolutely agree. It was a collective disappointment. Okay. Um, so obviously the following night, uh, Liverpool don't go seven points clear. Um, thanks to Kyle Walker for pointing that out. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Lad. <laughs> this is the Kyle Walker podcast today. Um, does that kind of show that we shouldn't be losing our heads right now, that there's almost another couple of chapters to this season still to be written? Or is it fair to say that even with Liverpool's draw, in general, the standard of their performances and their results is so similar to us last season that it is that that it's in, that, that it's perfectly fine to lose your head over even one bad result because literally one bad result will spell the end of a title challenge. Um, Lloyd, how do you, how do, you, how do you, where do you kind of sit on on the uh, on the reactions and basically the I'm not trying to I'm not trying to dig out people's reactions actually. What I'm trying to get at is what's left in the season. Like, is there still a couple of chapters to be written, or is it just as straightforward as? Liverpool are going to win this unless City win every single game between now and the end of the season and get a miracle. No, so I actually think, I think their, you know, wobble in inverted commas recently has suggested that they're definitely not going to win the next 14 games. And I don't think we have to win the next 14 games to win the league, but I do think the margins are so tight that, you know, another, I'd say another couple of losses for us in the 14 games could be the end definitely um i i i it's weird right because the, this liverpool result is you can view it in you can view it in two ways and you can view it in really opposite ways it's a massive missed opportunity for them but also it's a massive missed opportunity for us in that you know we could have foresaw that that would have happened but also i think the more important thing and the side that i would more come down on is given the the way that the fixtures played out, and this is something we touched on a couple of weeks ago, the fact that we played first, that massively lends itself to us if we win our game. But if we lose, obviously the pressure's off, but actually the pressure's kind of on them as well. Because if, if we lose, and you know they can go seven points clear, and I think at seven points, I think a lot of a lot of people, and you know, you've referenced City fans, a lot of people then, if, if, they, if they go and beat Leicester after we lose Newcastle, I think the conversation we're having on this podcast is entirely different. Um, yeah, they don't, and I think that, I actually think that's quite significant. I think the fact that they falter, and I watched that game, and they, it reminded me of our Newcastle Palace Leicester games. They just kind of they stopped playing like we stopped playing. The intensity wasn't there. Okay, you know, Klopp can say the snow's a factor, um, the weather's a factor. <laughs> it's ne- never, it's never just Liverpool's fault. Um, which you know maybe fine okay the ball was holding up a little bit but I do I I I think it's significant that they had the they had the massive up there was a big big thing after we didn't after we got beat by Newcastle and they didn't win I think I think that's quite significant and you know there's still five games uh, sorry five points is nothing you know they lose a game we win two points that's absolutely nothing and it it can literally take one game to swing completely so. With fourteen games to go and five five points, I think it's it's not a foregone conclusion. We've seen that they've they're a bit rattled. Um, we're still completely in it, and I think more than anything, thank God they didn't win that because if they'd have won that game, I think yeah, as I said, it would be an entirely different conversation. Mm. Before we talk about their trip to West Ham on uh, on Monday, Steve, you're closer to. The average scouser than me and Lloyd are for for various reasons. Um, How dare you? No, no, no. But, you know, I actually wasn't taking the mick then. I just mean in the sense that you've always said that you're surrounded by scousers. I am. I am. Um, who do you think has got the bigger balls, as as Pep would say? Who do you do you when you look at Liverpool? Do they smell like? title winners to you do you look at the team the performances the results is the sensation that you've got that yeah look we've 
it's theirs to lose almost because they're at a level that we're just not at and they've got the mentality right. Or would you almost be of the opinion that if five became two, you'd immediately have City as favourites because from there, City have got the experience? Yeah, the latter. That's why, you know, I, I at seven points, I would have been bereft because... But that's not any reflection on City or Liverpool. That's a reflection on two big clubs battling in the title race with 14 games to go and, you know, seven points to catch up. Uh, As regards to when you break it down to the actual uh, teams concerned, then theoretically, and there's a lot, a lot of ifs involved in this sentence I'm about to say, but theoretically City could beat Arsenal this Sunday and Liverpool could lose at the Amers. And should that happen, then the the, the kind of... um, the momentum swings entirely City's way because mm. Liverpool, if you look at the mentality of not just the club, not just the players, not just the managers as well, because remember Jurgen Klopp needs to win something in England. He does. Um, for himself, I'm not talking about you know the media and all the kind of people saying he's a choker or whatever. For himself, he needs to. He's putting pressure on himself. But also, look at the fan bases. Look at every single aspect of Liverpool and Manchester City right now. City have won the league three times. What we are fearful of, what petrifies us, is another club winning the league. Not us not winning the league, but another yeah. club winning the league. Yeah, yeah. So um, doesn't I don't mean to say that we don't want to win the league. Of course we do, but that's what we're petrified of. What Liverpool are petrified of are themselves. And that is a huge psychological difference there. They are petrified of themselves. They know what their psychological makeup is and where their frailties are and where their recent history lies. And they are petrified of that history repeating itself because if they don't win the league this season, after the, and they have been astonishing and what they have done has been astonishing. Absolutely happy because on record with that. And if they don't win the league after being this astonishing, where does that leave them? I reckon if they don't win the league... Places like the Anfield Rap might have to pack up and go home after everything. <laughs> it makes a great afternoon tea, doesn't it, if they don't win the league? Do you know what I mean? Uh, I think that I, <laughs> we can't escape Kyle Walker on this uh, on this podcast today. I think that that's where my defence of Kyle Walker comes from. The root of it comes from the fact that I'm like, he was taking the piss out of the Scousers and they have been at it since before the season began. So... Yeah, I'm I'm all, I'm a little bit all right with that. Hey Lloyd, West Ham Liverpool um is <laughs> we need a favor off Pellegrini, but right. how do you view West Ham Pellegrini at home against a big team? So, are you of the opinion that I worry that the way that Pellegrini plays is just walking straight into Liverpool's hands? Yeah, I mean, you know, they could easily get 4 0 couldn't they? Mm. Definitely. But the converse is, I think the fact that they're coming off a really annoying loss from their perspective is probably a good thing for us in that, you know, West Ham are a bit of a, you know, they're, they're inconsistent. That's why they kind of sit 11th, 12th or wherever they are in the league. And they have really good performances like against United, like against Arsenal. And they have really terrible ones like like on Monday. Um I think the fact they lost is good because they're going to be up for it and they're going to be angry. Um, however, obviously Arnautovic got stretched off, didn't he, after the the big furore around whether he's going or not. And then he basically does his ankle and he's out for the rest of the season. And, you know, irrespective of the fact that... What? what sorry, what did you just say then? Arnautovic is fit for Monday night. No, he's not fit. Are you sure? I saw an interview with Pellegrini. Uh, well, actually, I saw a statement on the West Ham website uh, last night saying that um, they expect him to train this weekend and that they're going to make a call. Oh, I saw he was but, out for the season. No, it's just a bit of bruising. Um, Nasri definitely won't be fit, but Fabianski and Arnautovic and one other injury doubt will be assessed over the weekend, but should be okay for Monday. Oh, well, you've cheered me up. Um, so no but yeah well I mean I still think that builds on the point I do think the fact that they lost is a good thing for us because they're going to be up for it mm. Um, and yeah okay Pellegrini's football it does kind of lend itself not great in the sense that 
that you know the defensively you know us under Pellegrini we were never solid and we were always open and I think his West Ham team have been the same they have a kind of they often win 3-0 but they all often lose 3-0 as well um but no I, I you you tell me that you've cheered me right up there so uh, <laughs> go on Arnie um, so, Steve, uh, looking at it from the other side, I believe that Joe Gomez has had a setback in his injury recovery. Uh, Klopp said in yesterday's uh, press conference that he won't be fit for the Bayern Munich ties. So that means that he's out for quite some time still. Yeah. Um, Nathaniel Klein has gone out on loan. I believe that Dejan Lovren has re-injured his hamstring. Um Looking at it from Liverpool's, looking at the kind of strengths and weaknesses of both sides, is there potential maybe for actually a cracking game? Because if they're a little bit weak at the back, Liverpool, and you've got Arnautovic and Felipe Anderson, is there potential? Is there the potential for this to be a bit of an interesting cracker, or mm. do you feel one side are just going to run away with it? No, I think that's bang on. I, I think. Um... I dreaded playing against Liverpool under Pellegrini. Um, there was uh, was it four nil or four one at the Etihad? Um, that game in particular, we basically just kind of oh the Mangala and, game. Oh, oh god! And, and the way we were set up, it was out. Genuinely, I've never been that furious at a City manager before, and I include you know the balls and the kind of you know I, I was furious that night. It was ridiculous how we set up that day. Sorry, against Liverpool. Uh, we just invited them um, to do what they did. So if there's any uh, repeat of that, then West Ham are in severe trouble. But having said that, Liverpool have also got injury concerns at the back. And West Ham really impressed me when they played Arsenal. I know I'm going back now, like three weeks maybe. But when I was watching that game at the start, I thought, I fancy the Amherst today, but they're going to have to really be up for it. And, you know, full of bombastic kind of, you know, like home support behind them and all the rest of it. No, they played in a really controlled manner and they just kind of dismantled Arsenal. And mm. that, that really surprised me. I didn't think... I knew that Pellegrini was capable of doing that as a manager. I didn't think he had the players out at West Ham to do that against such a good side as Arsenal. So, who knows? We could see a repeat of that. It could be a, a 1-0 to West Ham where they gradually you know, take control of the game and dismantle Liverpool. But I don't think so. I think it's going to be an out-and-out classic. Um just attack against attack and unfortunately Liverpool have a far superior attack I will correct you on one thing though Aysan you said uh, Lovren was out he's, he's, um, he's out of a hamstrung mouth his, his, mouth, <laughs> his mouth's broken he's talked that much shit over the past few Chatting years too much but, shit yeah uh, I believe I believe Kyle Walker's having a fitness test for the same injury yeah um, it's tweeting okay. button <laughs> uh, so looking at City Arsenal then Lloyd, I think that Guardiola has maybe the most difficult team selection that he's had since his first season mm. at the club. Uh, how do you pick a team for Sunday? Yeah, we said this, didn't we? I think I texted you saying, fucking mm-hmm. hell, it's really difficult to get a team for Sunday. Um. Oh. I think the real difficulty is given the fact that we've we had the Palace Leicester wobble at the same time and we reacted to that by basically then flat tracking everyone since, including Liverpool. It's kind of come again, which is what's frustrating. So do you then does Guardiola blink and do you draw for do you bring Mares in? Do you change one of the centre backs? Do you drop Walker again? I think probably Probably not. I think you keep most of the team. I think you drop. I drop. I think you drop David Silva. I think you have to bring Bernardo in. I think there's a chance you you might bring Gundogan in as well, which could mean, as I think we were discussing, he might maybe he plays Bernardo wide, like like last season, and he drops one of Sterling Sane. But I, I can kind of see that not happening. But I do think Bernardo comes in. Other than that, I think you've got to you've got to trust in the players, and you've got to say, you know, maybe Jesus for for Aguero. But I think other than that, you've got to basically say that was absolutely shit last week. You know that that's not good enough. You know that Liverpool have now given us a bit of an opening by not winning. Put it right, and from these mm-hmm. from these fourteen games, you know, I think now, you know, five five points isn't a lot, but I do think 
yes, they've got a wobble in them and they could spectacularly wobble, but you know, it's all this buts maybes. And I think the message has to be the margins now are so tight for us and we've basically got to win, you know, maybe not 14, but we've got to win almost 14. So I would say he's probably, I, I think probably stick with most of the team with a few tweaks. I think, I think Bernardo has to play maybe Jesus. Steve? I pretty much go with starting eleven uh, as against Newcastle, and as, as Lloyd said, just say right, you, you let everyone down last week. You don't let people down this week. Um, I, I think in the next three games can be seen as you know an encapsulation of a season in, in itself. It's, it's almost as a separate, tiny mini season in itself. Um, and I think we have to get seven from nine points there minimum. If if we lose one of those three games, we're not going to finish this title. Um, when is this in May? Yeah. I would go strong against Arsenal. I would play the best possible team he has available to him. Um, I do see the logic in possibly bringing in Bernardo over David because David looks kind of, you know, he looked a bit shot and and he's been struggling with his injury. He's now come back and yet he's still looking a little bit rusty. Do you risk that against Arsenal? I don't know. So. Um, but other than maybe Bingen and Bernardo uh, to Silva, I'd, I'd keep the same 11. Mm. I think he's got to change a couple in the front six. I don't know who, but I think that if you if you look at De Bruyne, Silva, front five, sorry. So De Bruyne, Silva, uh, and then Sterling, Sane, Aguero. I think two of those have got to be swapped out because I think they weren't good enough. Uh, and I think that, again, you know, if you carry a high-quality squad like we do... Uh, it doesn't say a lot to the players on the bench if uh, the Newcastle, they throw in the performance they do at Newcastle and then everybody keeps their place for Arsenal. I'd be pretty furious. Do you think Mahrez starts though? Well, I mean, Mahrez is almost a unique conversation in that he doesn't get near the pitch on Tuesday and that's a massive concern for me because I don't understand how you need a goal and you leave Sterling on there and you don't throw Mares. I just, it, it doesn't, I don't get it. And it makes me think that with Mares, there's more, too much work on the training pitch still. And he's just not yeah. trusted enough. Having said that. Theoretically, general, he, should, he should, I mean, theoretically, you know, if, if you kind of view this outside of the factors that have happened this season, Mares obviously should start at the weekend 100%. because he's the plug and play 28 year old Premier League 100%. winner guy that we this is the exact time when one of the you know younger in adverted commas Sterling or Sane players doesn't doesn't hit the level that you bring that guy in to then bring the levels back up and and basically put the pressure on Leroy and Raz but you know I do I agree with you I think there is a bit of a unique conversation with with Mares and actually I do think I'd be surprised if he if he if he started against Arsenal. Well, it's for me. I'm I'm I wouldn't be surprised, and I would be surprised just in the sense that you know they. I think Guardiola has to say to the eleven that started against Newcastle, some of you lose your places because of that performance. Tough tease. I just can't see how he perseveres with how he can look the others in the eye if he perseveres with them. I just, I find that difficult to, he's got a very difficult situation to manage in terms of he's got a really high quality squad and he's got guys like Bernardo Silva and, and Mares who are on the bench and Gundogan who is on the bench and Gabriel Jesus who is on the bench. And I think for all of these guys, yeah, watching that Newcastle game, they all can be Wednesday going in and going, listen, I want a chance against Arsenal because they were rubbish last night. Um, and I think in particular, we've had this conversation, Jesus and Gundogan were two players who absolutely were in form. And there was an argument that either or could have started against Newcastle. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a tricky one in, in that sense. Steve, do you want to chime in before I wrap this up? No, no, I, I pretty much agree with all of that. Um, I, I would start with Aguero because Aguero's goal scoring record against Arsenal, Tottenham, you know, the, the kind of top six, Agreed. Chelsea's. It, yeah, it, so I'd always start with Aguero against the top six. Um, Gundogan has got every chance of making it because, like you say, he's been uh, one of our best performers in recent weeks. So, yeah, it's it's one of those where Pep knows himself who is most kind of ready 
uh, and mm. who is most up for it and who's in the best mental place um, because you would expect basically 16, 17, 18 players to be utilised over the over next week against um, the other three games coming up. Um, Absolutely. And just who fits in where. Absolutely. Okay, wonderful. I'm going to wrap this up now. In one word, will Manchester City beat Arsenal? Stephen Tudor. Yes. Lloyd? Yes. That's a clean sweep. It's a yes from me as well. Um, this was the Friday show on a Saturday afternoon on the 9320 podcast. Thank you very much, Lloyd. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much, Steve. Pleasure, man. To everybody who listened, thank you very much. For those of you who are members of the 9320 player, we'll be back with a review on Monday of City versus Arsenal. In the meantime, be safe, be well, and as always, up the blues.